Welcome to Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. If you are a person that is tired of apologizing for being you, you know, the human part of you that sometimes feels like it has to be different at home versus work versus play, the human side that just wants to be hot, humble, open, and transparent about your wants, desires, and uniqueness. If you answered yes, this podcast is for you. Join me, Emily Elrod, as I dive into conversations with amazing guests about what they are not sorry for in creative and loving ways. Let's get started. I'm blessed beyond measure to have you here, Teresa, because you are such an awesome and dynamic. And, you know, I talk a lot about wisdom and being wise. And you're that, like you, you ooze that just naturally. So I'm excited for the listeners to get to hear you today on a subject I struggle with. Um, myself personally. So I'm just excited. So thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Thanks for asking me. I'm equally as excited. The energy is going to be off the chart. (laughs) (laughs) So before we get started, I do want to ask the people to please continue to like, subscribe, and share because our goal is to bring positivity and humanity to your newsfeed. You've got to be tired of hearing half of the negativity and the junk that you hear. This is stuff to help develop you and help you grow and be better because it's things that I feel like as humans, we, we all have some form of a struggle. And I feel like this dialogue and talk today will really help empower you to get to the next step. So welcome, Teresa. Let's go ahead and if you don't mind, tell me a little bit about yourself before we go in into what you're not sorry for. Sure. I'm Teresa and, you know, the the work that I do is in the realm of emotional intelligence. I build emotionally intelligent organizations and, you know, sometimes that is a balls to the wall kind of <laughs> let's dig in deep and get some people to show up authentically and move through some of the toxicity and the crap that's just mm-hmm. going on. I mean, it's incredibly meaningful and fulfilling work. It was pivotal in my own transformation in my early 20s. And the work that you do is something that once you pick up is some, you know, you can carry it on for so many years and it continually gives back and refill your cup time and time again. Uh, I have a great husband. I have a wonderful son. He's the love of my life. Um, I'm an avid runner. I love being in nature. I'm part of the Humans First community, which is one of the best communities on the planet. Mm -hmm. That's me in a nutshell. I love it. And that's where I met you is through the Humans First community. And I think the part that I loved is hearing how that community, but also you, you spark with humanity. And that's, that's my goal is to help with creating wise cultures and wise climates for work and And that's where we really hit it off, especially with emotional intelligence. So for people that don't know what emotional intelligence is, um, because I think that's important for this conversation we're about to have, can you explain to them what that is? Yes, in a nutshell, because you could read a lot of literature on it and it will go on for pages and pages in describing what emotional intelligence actually is. So we can look, we know what our IQ is. We're very good at distinguishing that IQ is our intellectual quotient in which, you know, we're math and spatial awareness and language. And, you know, we have questions that will ask us in our IQ assessment that we've never seen before because it's an application of all the learning we've done in those realms before. Mm -hmm. EQ 
or our emotional quotient is kind of the exact same thing. It's our capacity to understand our emotional information and apply that understanding to different situations that we encounter, to our own emotional events, things, trauma that may have happened in the past and how it shows up today, to how we work with other people, to how we communicate how we're feeling, to how we drive towards results, to how we find our motivational triggers, to how we collaborate, to how we problem solve, to how we manage our stress. So basically it's understanding emotional information and then knowing how to use that information effectively for success. Yes. And I think that's a big part is that the research is showing that it's actually more important to have EQ and, and how that is a success driver. You still need the IQ. Yes. EQ is really a part of the success and, and having those conversations and how to have those thoughts that are needed. Yeah. yeah it can matter more than mm -hmm. our IQ when it gets in our way. Mm -hmm. We're not emotional. Like we, sometimes we can go days on end and not have these emotional pendulum swings. We're neutral. That's a great way of describing it. Emotionally neutral. Mm -hmm. When we start to become emotionally unwell and the pendulum starts to swing to extremes that the emotion drives our behaviors and we're incapable of accessing our IQ. Mm -hmm. So we can't even tap into our intelligence because our emotions are driving the bus. That's when our EQ matters more than our IQ. Mm -hmm. And I think too, a lot with fear and how that can help shut down your even accessing your IQ. And mm -hmm. if our emotions are, are this scared, especially during this time. And I think one of the things that can elicit that fear is having to speak honestly with people. Mm -hmm. And I think that that drives into our conversation we're going to have today about what you're not sorry for. So if we can go into that, what are you not sorry for? <laughs> for calling people out on their BS. <laughs> I'm not sorry for that. I'm never sorry for that. It always ends up being the right thing to have done. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing for me is like, it's a fear. It's that uncomfortableness of like, I need to say this. How do I say it? I like to people please people and I don't want to hurt their feelings, but also I know that assertiveness is needed for leadership. So mm -hmm. how has being or calling people out, how did, how did that even come to be for you? Like, how did you get there? Point blank as a, as a kid. So it's always been there. And as a kid, I, you know, you call children like that mouthy. So I was totally called mouthy by most people that were around me, lippy and sassy and all of those kinds of words, because the way I went about doing it was supercharged with that emotional temperature of being healthy and lippy and sassy. And what I realized was it wasn't so much that people were offended with what I said, they were offended by how I said it. And so when I learned to control my emotional driver behind why I was saying it, then I was able to say it in a way that was met with the, the intention that I intended behind it, as opposed to being met with a, an emotional resistance. And it is something that is a finely crafted and curated skill set. I, I have discovered it took me a little while to learn how to do that really well. But the practice of doing it really, really wrong was a good window into how not to do it so that I could sort of get rid of all of that noise and, and fine tune that craft. And I think one thing is I hear from that is self-awareness. 
-hmm. because I know some people that still are so bluntly honest that it it's like, Hey, do you not understand how you're saying that? And can, can you not see that whenever people are not wanting to be around you and all these other things and they want to blame other things like other people. So what would you tell somebody to start focusing on that awareness or those triggers or like, what are some cues that I could look at to be like, Oh, I might be saying that wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the first trigger is that you're saying it because it's about you. So if I'm going to call someone out on something because I need to be right, then you're not going to do it right. If I'm saying it because it needs to be said for them to break through, generally you'll hit it on the nose every single time. You'll match and align intention with language and body language, both verbal and nonverbal will align in that state. But if we're doing it from a place where we're afraid of I'm going to look like an idiot or I'm going to fail or I, I, I will never get it right. Mm -hmm. I love that. And the thing that makes me think of, there's this quote, somebody's talking about being a seasonal patriot um, versus, and it was actually a Christian quote about instead of being a gracious Christian and like how some people are fighting for things that actually don't match up with their values. And right. they're, they're going to fight and go into battle and calling people out on things that don't matter in essence like in the grand scheme of things mm -hmm. so what would you tell for people that want to call people out and but sometimes they they also call people out too much like on every little thing yeah yeah well i think we all learn from a very young age you have to pick your battles <laughs> and don't sweat the small stuff like there's a lot of stuff that is written out there that is pointing in the direction of when you decide to speak up it needs to be something that is integral to strengthening the relationship between you and the other person. Otherwise, just let it go and keep your mouth shut. So it's a combination of skills that are really being used. Like impulse control is our ability to resist temptation of, of leaping, of making rash decisions, like getting sucked into someone else's drama. So we have to know that about ourselves as well. When someone starts to speak and I'm emotionally triggered, do I have a tendency to react to the trigger? And that's a lack of impulse control, which is an emotional intelligence skill. But even deeper than that is our interpersonal relationship skill set. So the stronger and deeper and the greater the foundation of trust and compassion that I have with someone else, the easier it is for me to call them out on things. Number one, because I know them well enough. Number two, because they know me well enough. So they know that my intention is to help, not to harm. Mm -hmm. If I find myself blurting something out, sometimes in our journey of emotional intelligence, we find ourselves blurting something out and we we like want to, oh, 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 I got my foot in my mouth and we want to pull it back in as fast as we can pull it back in. And that's just called course correction. Yeah. Where sometimes, you know, we do feel it emotionally. We're triggered. We're like, I can't believe you're talking about this. Like, again, like you asked me for advice on this before I gave you advice. Like, why are we talking? And you're like, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> you, yeah. you hear, you're like, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm totally frustrated because we've spoken about it before. And maybe the question I want to ask you is, why do you keep talking, but do nothing? Like what's going on for you that keeps you stuck? And so 
you see, you could see in that progression, even in my demonstration, you see the emotional driver behind it. You see the course correction into alignment of, I care about you and want to help. So what is the question I need to ask? What is the statement that puts it back into you and not about me? And, oh, there's so many things I love about that too. And I will tell you, it wasn't until I am 32 now, it wasn't until about two years ago, whenever I was 30, that I started surrounding my people or surrounding myself with people mm -hmm. that were calling me out. Mm -hmm. Because what I learned is if I don't have those people, I will not be as successful and I will not be able to progress. Yeah. So, and it has led me even more to focusing even on my work that you have to find the no people, like the people that will say no to you and will be upfront and honest instead of we like yes people because they're yeah. comfortable. So what would you say to that for people that have surrounded themselves? There's the fear of influence is filled with, you know, if you can't say nothing uh, nice, don't say it at all. Well, no, we need to be honest. We need to come from a place mm -hmm. of love and and say some things and tell some people, you know. What would you say to that? Well, Brene Brown, I think, has the best three words strung together. Clear is kind. And part of sometimes what can get in the way of not surrounding ourselves with people who are willing to um, hold up the mirror, show us our blind spots, is that we lack self-regard. We don't have a good, healthy level of esteem. And so we need people around us who will sugarcoat for us, who will n highlight our best spots, but won't talk to us about anything else because we don't want to see it. There is a reason why people choose to play victim. It's because it suits where they are right now. It doesn't mean that people will stay victim their whole life, but when we see ourselves surrounding ourselves with people pleasers, with people who will never say no to us, who people, with people who will always say yes to us, we're, we're creating that environment, which might serve us in the moment to simply stay where we are because fear is preventing us from wanting to be or grow to anything else. That's the unknown. I don't know what that looks like. I don't want to go there. Perhaps because I don't know what it looks like. And so I'm just afraid. Maybe it'll be worse. I'm comfortable where I am right now. I know this devil. That's the one I don't know. I don't even want to give it a try. I have low levels of optimism. I have no trust whatsoever in the fact that I can positively influence that that will be a positive experience. So we start to see like many components beginning to line up. And all of these are EQ skills, like optimism, EQ skill, self-regard is an EQ skill assertiveness, empathy, there's so many of them that start to intertwine and play a role in whether I step outside the comfort zone and ask people to start holding up the mirror, or I don't. Mm -hmm. I ask people intentionally that I know will be, I don't, I don't particularly like the word brutally honest, because brutal has, um, a connection to it being aggressive and not really helpful in its intention. So I do like Dr. Kim Scott calls it like radical candor, uh -huh. which, which is an extension of, I care about you a lot and I'm going to challenge you a lot, mm -hmm. but can't challenge if we don't care about people, we can't challenge to that great extent. We have to sort of draw the caring before we do the challenging because people have to know the space it comes from 
to really be able to hear you. Otherwise, the defenses will just come up and, and they won't want to engage with it. Yes. And it makes me think of a thing that I've taught and I've used a lot, even with my children, is the four to one method. So four positives to one negative or one. Right. And the positive just to, so that they know that you care and the constant of saying, hey, I'm doing this because I love you. It's not because I think you're worthless and I don't think you're valuable. I think you're amazing. But and, it, and it's the thing is, we don't use the word, but um, correct. <laughs> And, and yes, and then comes the rest. So here's my from this space. And I think that's powerful too, is that even I corrected myself because that, but mm-hmm. that, but is, is negating the good. Yeah. And, and the conversation should be an and, or followed up with a new sentence on how much you care. That has been life-changing for me. Mm-hmm. And the slow progression of ways to learn to applicate or apply this to people. So my question, my next question for you is when is the first time you called somebody out on their BS and you're like, I did that right. And it worked. Oh, (laughs) so you said you're 32. So maybe your memory of your, your, (laughs) your life, I'm 47. So the first time I did that and it went right. (laughs) I don't, I have a memory being quite young Mm -hmm. and even though the delivery was potentially off-putting because I did get in trouble for the delivery the behavior afterwards changed so Mm -hmm. I knew what I said hit the mark I knew how I said it wasn't appreciated um it was with my mom Mm -hmm. And it was around how she disciplined us. Mm-hmm. And I told her, this is not, this is not right. Basically, we were disciplined in a line. So you know, one of four kids. Generally, yeah. generally we conspired and did something. But there was never any asking about who did what and seeking the truth and you know, then disciplining the appropriate party. Everyone just lined up and got a spank. Mm-hmm. And then my younger sister generally got away with it because number one, she's the youngest and we lined up by age. So I was second in the group, then my brother and then my younger sister and my older sister was first. And it was always quite interesting because when we got to the end, she was crying for so long. My mother would always say to her that it seems like you recognize that you were in the wrong. And so she wouldn't get spanked. And I was like, well, that's not right. I recognize I was wrong before getting spanked either, but you didn't really ask me. And so I don't want it. And um, I recognized afterwards that some more dialogue happened beforehand. And then the spanking went down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think this also relates back to a previous guest that I had on Hayden. And he talked about being powerfully kind mm-hmm. and stepping up in our assertiveness, but being powerful is not actually, it's not really a bad thing that we want to be actually powerfully kind together. So be assertive and and own our voice, but in that we do have to know ourselves. So how have you developed that skill over time to, to combine like being powerfully kind? It is a cultivation of the relationship skill first. Mm -hmm. And then very close behind that is my own emotional self-awareness. So the recognition of when what is driving what I want to say comes from 
uh, a behavior is in conflict to my core value. And so I'm going to speak up because I'm speaking about something that I believe is unjust. And is it necessary for me to speak in this moment and call them on something if what they're doing is in alignment with their own value system. Why does it matter if conflict to mine? Am I doing it to help them or am I doing it to help me? Am I doing it just because I'm upset and I think they should know that I'm upset? Like, <laughs> what's the benefit? So the weighing of that sort of cost benefit analysis of speaking up and you think like, sometimes it's in a moment's flash that you justify. We make decisions emotionally, we justify them rationally. So I may have decided I'm going to speak up, but between then and justifying rationally, I have to note, am I justifying rationally as in logical, my IQ is turned on and I'm being objective or am I justifying still an emotional temperature? Like I'm still justifying under my emotion of that is pissing me off. And so that's why I can speak. So there's this cultivation of that skill set of being able to really listen to what someone else is experiencing. So empathy is a huge skill that is used in calling people out on their BS. Because when you call someone out, it isn't about you saying what you think. It's about asking the next question that is, in essence, calling them out on it. Mm -hmm. It just isn't a statement. It's not an opinion-based statement. It's a question that allows them to explore the truth around what they're talking about. That is huge. And I found that out in engineering aspect and, and past work and coming in and it, making it their idea and the power right. of that. And it even makes me think of a conversation I had today with a friend and she knows what she's doing. And she knows what she, she's talked about it time and time again. And I just asked a question or she had a, a statement about what she should do. I'm like, but do you know what you need to do? She's like, yeah, I know. I know what I need to do. I just don't want to. I'm like, okay, at least you're aware enough to, to be able to, one, not stop the conversation, but to know where I stand. Yeah. And to be able to follow through. And I think that's something too for us that are people pleasers like me. It's like we want to hear everything out, but it also is emotionally draining at times. And so how can we make sure what she talked about is emotional temperature? Not only make it make sure that we're not drained out, we're gone and we're depleted, you know. Mm -hmm. How can we be self-aware and how has the power of calling people out helped in that or helps in that? So when I'm coaching individuals and emotional intelligence, you have to build that foundation of trust, compassion, caring, kind. You have to build that foundation very quickly mm -hmm. because uh, it does not take long for people to start to um, hide behind their armor and emotional intelligence because there are deep, difficult things to look at and discuss. And we don't make headway in EQ development if they're unwilling to discuss it. Mm -hmm. But also when people get stuck in their own narrative, you have to call them on the narrative because that's how they disrupt the cycle of the emotional spiral, which leads to toxic behaviors. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that's really quite important to do is to describe the nature of how we're going to go about the, the relationship and put it on the table up front. Mm -hmm. So when I work with people, I just point blank, tell them when I was a leader of people, I did the exact same things. Like I will set very clear expectations and I will call you on them when you don't do them. How do you like to be called on them? 
So I ask people for like, how do you like to be called on it? Knowing that it's going to happen. This is your opportunity to set the tone for how it happens. If you don't have a how, I'm just going to go about it the way that I go about doing it. And I will describe to them in that moment. So this is one of those moments when an expectation wasn't met and I'm going to call you on it. So I preempt it for them and then I just go ahead and do it. In emotional intelligence coaching, when people just say, I learned this when I was a kid and I care, I carry it with me and, and I think it's a good thing. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. Like, can you just say it again that you think it's a good thing? I want you to hear yourself say that back and honestly say to me that you think that's a really good idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and getting them, getting them even to like the jarringness of it and getting them to say things over again and then go, no, it's not really a good idea, but it helps me to excuse things away. I'm like, yes, it's a crutch that you use to excuse behaviors. But you told me you're looking to grow beyond these behaviors. So why in this session did you feel it was necessary to bring up something that's a crutch and then say it's a really good thing? Like, that's total bullshit. It's not a good thing. <laughs> so, it is. so one of the things in EQ development is helping them to hear how you process information so they learn to catch their own narrative and call BS on themselves. Because that's part of our EQ journey is hearing the narrative and the spiral that we're used to and going, wait a minute. That's total bullshit. Oh, I love that. And the biggest reason why I love that is that you are talking about expectations and the power of setting them ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Because the one thing that I hear a lot is that communication is the biggest reason for arguments and disagreements. And I counter that with, I don't think it's actually arguments that or the communication. I think it's the expectations because it's how we hear it and how we say it. And were our values hurt most of the time whenever disagreements happen? And whenever you call people out, again, what you talked about is care is so important, but also the clear expectations. And so that gives me a follow-up question is, how does that help in not only leadership of leading people, leading yourself, but also being able to be open and honest? Hmm. When leading other people, expectation is the foundation of what we're aiming for collectively. Uh, whether I'm aiming for it because I'm the leader of the team and this is what I'm responsible to hit as targets, you're aiming for it because it's what's stretching you outside of your comfort zone to grow your skills. It's also, you know, your job and you're getting paid for it. So you have to be able to do it. <laughs> that early on setting of expectations is so important because it allows and gives permission to then hold people accountable to them. But it allows and gives permission for us ourselves to hold ourselves accountable to what we promise to ourselves. This is the foundation of self-esteem. Like we don't need leaders if everyone is good at self-leading. We don't need leaders of people. We need leaders of things, projects, targets, goals, outcomes for sure. But we don't necessarily need leaders of people if everyone is exceptional at self-leadership. But the truth is not everyone is exceptional at self-leadership, right? We know all the time that people do discretionary effort at work because, you know, they're on social media and watching YouTube videos instead of doing work. And, and why is that? Well, there's a bunch of reasons why that is. We're not going to come with one. So expectations lays a foundation. Even if we transfer this over to parenting, how many times for parents who are listening, have you set very clear expectations 
to your children? Or do we just call them on things that we're like, well, that's common sense. You're like, no, there is no such thing as common sense. We might say it and then catch ourselves going, well, clearly it wasn't common if you were not aware of it. Fact. Truth bomb right there, right? Like with our son, we do it all the time. And then when he breaks them, we call them on them. We call them on those broken promises, violated expectations, bad behavior. So the bad mm -hmm. behavior one, that's the one that is a common sense outcome. Someone behaves mm -hmm. poorly and you go, wait a minute, I thought you knew that social rule. And they're like, I had no idea that was a social rule or an expectation. Like, okay, so let's talk about it because it is. And now we set an expectation for what it looks like, what it doesn't look like. And we move forward from there. But sometimes I think what where people get stuck is they think I said it once and now we're good all the time. And like, it just doesn't work that way. It totally no. doesn't work that way. No. And I love that too, that you talk, well, one, that you do that with your kid. Cause I'm like, our kids can talk together later on whenever they're in therapy because all the things that we've done to them. Um, but how much emotional intelligence, it's like, it's my goal to teach my kids now because my kids in, they're, they're smart as is like, so their IQ is pretty good is the EQ. That's really the developmental because their IQ, they can get it from school, but EQ is not as much taught in that aspect. So I think that's important too, to, to pause on that, on calling your kids out because yeah. sometimes I, it, it drives me insane. It's, I'll tell you, it's a pet peeve of mine. Like if I'm on the conversation, I'm having a call and somebody's, like their kid keeps talking, you know, and they're like, Hey, don't say anything. I'm on the phone. Da -da -da -da. Hey, don't say anything. I'm on the phone. Like being direct because what I've found is kids want that. It's the weirdest thing, but they do. They really want that, that directness as, as again, as weird as it feels like. So what would you say to that, to any additional comments about to parents too, about how it's important to call your kids out? And it's easier to do it young than whenever they're older. It is, yeah, very much, very much easy to do when it when your children are young. But here's the caveat: is you have to lead by example. Yes, our children are watching us all the time and learning those boundaries. So when we set expectations, every time we let them take an inch, and we let them get away with that, the next step they take is going to aim for the mile. And then we get pissed off. But who are we really pissed off at? Are we pissed off at them for trying to find where the boundary is or us for not holding the boundary? We're mm -hmm. really pissed off at us. And so we have to model that behavior of if I set an expectation for you within our household and I'm allowed to break it, that's the exact same in leadership. I set an expectation for a team or my department, but I'm allowed to break it, like, it makes no sense. The rules are the rules. The expectations are the expectations for everyone. And so we lead by example. We demonstrate that vulnerability, that self-regard, respecting strengths and weaknesses. When we mess up, we say that we messed up. We talk about how we're correcting it. And then we ask for kindness and generosity as we work towards correcting it. So then when we call other people on it they're receptive to being called on it knowing that oh they do that for themselves and i know that it's not about beating me up 
and I'm psychologically safe and they still care about me because I watched them do it with kindness to themselves. And now I'm seeing them do it with kindness to me as well. And this really, really strengthens a relationship, like bonds so deep, roots so sturdy that you can then talk about anything under any circumstance with anyone at any time, no matter sort of the catastrophe that it may seem to be, they'll be willing to dive into that conversation with you. And that that's a fact. Um, some people know that I had my kid out of wedlock and my the biological of my son, he's never met him. But lately he's been asking questions because we've had some medical issues. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing the aspect of building those skills at such a young age that we're having deep conversations that had scared me and I'd cried about for years thinking about how is he going to turn is this going to mess him up for life you know and he's like okay like I understand and this is um, he asked some blunt straight up questions and I answer them and we're about our way you know and how I processed it would be like this is going to be awful you know so it's very important like you said with your kids um, yeah. and the power of that. So I appreciate you for talking about that and putting that into this dialogue because my thing that I love about being unapologetically bold is it affects work and life. You work human everywhere and being open and honest and what we say is hot. So humble, open and honest um, and transparent. It Mm. matters. So with that, I do want to give you the final words. What would you say to somebody that keeps apologizing for calling other people out on the BS? One of the watch outs in how you do it is try to avoid the why question. Why, why did you do that? Why are you saying that? Why are you acting that way? Why is it a, is a very emotionally charged question and it is laced with assumption and bias and judgment. And so when you want to call people out on their BS, stay clear of the why-based questions and phrase the question back in a, what is that all about? How is that impacting you right now? If you were to try something different, what would you try differently? Is that really true? Like, where's the proof that what you're talking about is actually true? And then you might be able to get to the why question after three or four or five of those other W questions and H questions. And then the person will be able to dive into the why because the why is the emotional trigger that's driving what they're doing in the first place. And it's just too hard to start there because that's when the armor comes up and that's when people want to push you away. And that's when you'll notice that I'm not really doing this as well as I would like to. Like, I'm not getting the results I want to see because why sometimes for us comes from I'm triggered. I'm frustrated by the fact that you're doing that. Like, why would you do that? (laughs) So no wonder that doesn't work. And I love that. And that's a lot based on Simon Sinek is what he talks about. And what I learned is you start with the what, you go to the how, and then you can eventually go to the why. But you got to stay in the what first until you can slowly move into a how. And so I use that even on my marketing or just asking general questions because mm-hmm. what questions elicit in here because it's it's an intellectual question more it and it's not something deeper and connected to a feeling or emotion or a power most of the time. So I love that. I think that is such a powerful comment and a powerful wording just all together about 
how to call people out. And I know for me, I've taken a lot from this. So I hope the viewers have as well. So I just want to thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you for all that has, uh, everybody that has listened. I hope you all have an amazing and blessed day. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Unapologetically Bold. I'm not sorry for. If this touched you in any way, please like and subscribe and share with your friends as we continue the message of being unapologetically bold by being hot humans who are humble, open, and transparent. See you next time.